tuned in to the Tales and Tunes podcast. This week, I decided to do something a little different and have a guest on who isn't a DJ, but someone who is still very involved in electronic music culture. But before we get into that, let's rock this week's track pick of the week. This week's pick is entitled Fade Out, produced by Albert Ruiz and Joe Red, and can be found on Stick Recordings. Here we go.
joining us, guys, for this, the first episode of the Tales and Tunes podcast of 2016. This week, I have my first guest who isn't act, an actual DJ on the show, uh, but he's a promoter and a longtime thrower of parties, shows, events, all electronic in nature. He's worked Movement Festival five years and counting, as well as toured as an employee for Insomniac for a couple years. He now resides here in Denver and is the owner and operator of Afterglow, a private event company. A longtime friend of mine, please welcome Alex Johnson to the podcast. Alex, thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Part of, some of you might be asking, how if he's not a DJ, what are we going to do for the mix? Well, I will be providing the mix for this week's episode, and that hasn't been done, and we're at uh, episode 15, I believe, so... Thank you. That's yeah. my request. <laughs> he asked uh, who the DJ could be, and I wanted him, so <laughs> only appropriate. Cheers to that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, how's how's it going, buddy? How How's life? Man, <clears throat> just uh, working really hard on a whole bunch of new projects, really excited, Um you know, I I fell into Denver a few years back, man, and and uh, it's just been nothing but cool crowd here. This is uh, I, w- I was only supposed to be a temporary thing. I think we'll get into that a little bit later, but nothing like the people here in Denver and and the music scene here is incredible too. Hell yeah, man! Uh, I've been through a lot with this guy. Uh, we met in two thousand eight at Ultra Music Festival, and since then we've done uh, the Ultra thing in WMC two more years after that. And then uh, I think we've been to eight years of Detroit and counting as well. Shit, together. man, I'm losing count. That's so many. <laughs> Absolutely, <coughs> and not to mention countless parties here in Denver and, and the Midwest, <laughs> from the mountains to the plains. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, speaking of Detroit, the announcement lineup came out recently, and uh, it's things are looking pretty exciting this year. Dude, this fucking lineup is incredible. Uh, Craftwork 3D, obviously. Is yeah, play yeah. Detroit is going to be in, in, insane. Yeah. There's just too many to name. It's going to be an incredible time. You know, I recently made friends with um, Golf Clap. They're going to be there again this year. Uh, one of my favorites uh, is... Uh, Eddie Folks, we had him play at the Denver Winter Showcase last year. Um, all really cool people, man. All, you know, that's the cool, the coolest thing about Detroit is, uh, you know, <clears throat> you go there with all the negative feedback that you hear on the news and whatnot, man. And it's almost kind of scary, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, especially for someone who, with like us who, you know, can be vulnerable or kind to people, you know, more often than not. You go to a place where people are most often not kind, um, but when you get into the, in the confines, in and around the confines of the city, the downtown atmosphere, while this festival is going on, dude, there's, it's the best thing that happens to the city, dude. It's the best thing that happens. One of the best things that happens to the country. I mean, in the world, because people come from all over the world to come celebrate Dump, dude. Ever mm-hmm. since it was Dump, way back when, you know. Yeah, the amount of money that gets brought in. By by the, I mean the amount of people that come there and the spirit of just everybody, uh, all the employees and and people of the streets. There's everybody's just ah, oh, it's techno week. <laughs> dancing, dancing in the streets, man. Everybody, whether you generally listen to techno or not, man. There's a ton of people who are there. Yeah, yeah. What's kind of cool about this year too with Craftwork 3D? They they were just touring, and I they came through Denver. I know I did that. They did a U.S. tour, and they came through Denver. And uh, I didn't get to go, unfortunately, but tickets were like 70 bucks, I think. So, I mean, like, right there, <coughs> the 
Craftwork 3D performance alone is like half the ticket price. Like so, it is so worth it this year to go. Uh, yeah, I was looking through the lineup that was announced. <coughs> There's just the list goes on, but I'll name a few that were on the list. We got a uh, Adam Bayer, Ame. Chris Liebing, Chris Liebing. Uh, For Real, which is uh, Green Velvet and Claude Von Stroke. Oh, that's uh, cool. Dubfire, John Digwe, Justin Martin, Loco Dice, Maceo Plex. That's, that guy's played every year for That was like a the great memorable show with you. Remember that Dubfire show we went to in the old bank or whatever, the, the Skylight? Oh, yeah, the after Remember party. That? It was yeah, like it was five like, bucks. Oh, yeah, like nobody else would go out. We're oh, like, dude, man. Dubfire for five bucks? Dude, like yeah. six and bucks away. That was a great venue, man. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Shit, totally. man, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Nina Kravitz, Magda, Matador, Richie Houghton, like always, Seth Troxler, Tale of Us, uh, Ellen Alien, Kyle Geiger, Lee Curtis, Mike Huckabee, and then probably the one that I'm most excited about because I haven't ever seen him, and uh, he's just starting to come around America a lot more now, is uh, Scuba. So that'll be fucking exciting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, yeah, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I guess I haven't even actually for sure like I'm 100% in and going uh, my girlfriend's not going this year because of uh, can't get the time off of work with all the other shit we have going on okay. so uh, I think my, my plan is really just to wait until like it gets a month or so away and then uh, there's always people like oh we have an extra spot in our room or something like this just kind of like leaving it up to chance and just going with the flow especially since I won't have my girlfriend there <laughs> just kind of let throws the, weekend, the, whole, let throws the, we- the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, throw. let the weekend take me where it wants to. <laughs> if, I, if I'm supposed to go, I'm supposed to go. So. Well, I know a dude in Detroit. <laughs> I, know, I know a dude in Detroit who's got a spot open, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that That's a great transition because, uh, yeah, well, let's uh, get to know you a little bit. Um, uh, you are uh, from Detroit. Is that where you were born? Yeah, man, I was born in Detroit, uh, actually in the city limits of Detroit. I'm a native Detroiter, um, but I grew up in the suburbs. Spent <coughs> spent time, split home, so spent time with dad, spent time with mom on opposite ends. Both pretty, you know, upper middle class communities. And uh, <coughs> you know what, man, I don't know if I, I wasn't a lot like all the other kids there, and I hated it. And I blamed, uh, I blamed my family for moving me into the spot. So it was, I was fucking 16 the first time I moved out and got an apartment with an older friend and, you know, stayed in a beat-up fucking house on Detroit's west side, you know, and tried that out for a little while and, you know, got into the hood game out there a little bit. Detroit was a rough place to really fuck around, but I thought that that was who I was. Mm-hmm. Only because I knew I wasn't the people that I grew up around. Mm-hmm. And that's a really kind of interesting view on the city too is it's so segregated it's still that way you know i mean one community is all white and you know or middle class working people and then the other half is like the worst ghetto you can walk into and Mm -hmm. it's so transverse between the two between you know and it's such a fine line so yeah I, i tried that hood game for a little bit and i sold dope and i was probably the only white kid for a mile and a half around you know what i mean it was like what year was were you sixteen then? Sixteen, so five, that was nineteen or two thousand. Two thousand? Yeah. Okay. Two thousand. So, yeah, thirty-two now, man. Um, 
so it, it was tough, man. Um, and uh, I eventually kind of came out of that shell and realized that I wanted to go and finish school and I didn't want to be like all the, the hood rich people out there. So you dropped out? I dropped out when I moved into the city. You oh, know, and, and you're 16. Yeah. Okay. And, and kind of threw caution to the wind at that point, and I was just like, I'm going to be a drug dealer the rest of my life. <laughs> and that, that was probably not the best <laughs> life plan. Uh, so I changed my changed my game, and I got back in school, and I went and got my GED, and uh, after that was done, I split, man. I, was, I had to get out of Detroit. It was gloomy, and there didn't seem like there was a whole lot of opportunity. But uh, what year was that then when you left to train? Uh, I was 18. 18? Yeah. Well, br- briefly, I went to Florida when I was 17. I ran away. I was a bad little fucker. I stole my mom's uh, debit card, and I went and uh, took out 400 or 500 bucks, whatever her limit was on the card, <laughs> and thought I could run away to Florida on that. And, and uh, yeah, so me and a friend ran away to Florida. And uh, Where were you headed? We, we were headed, originally, we were headed to um, Fort Lauderdale, because that sounded the coolest. You know, we didn't know shit about Florida. We were fucking 17 years old. <laughs> so, we met this guy on a Greyhound bus, and we had a bunch of shit with us. We were moving there. And um, <laughs> we met this guy on the bus. He's like, don't go to Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale is way too expensive if you only got a couple hundred bucks in your pocket to start off with. And he said, uh, you should go to Daytona Beach. Daytona Beach is a lot cheaper and oh, yeah. and that mind at that time hindsight I should have been like cheaper means scummier you know and I should have looked at the quality of the guy but at the time I was just like you know what? I'm you know I'm going with the flow here and so we jumped off in Orlando Orlando and, and my my buddy had a, a severe problem with um let's say for this podcast he had a severe problem with beers and we happened to check into a motel that had a lot of beer heads there. <laughs> and so uh, one thing led to another, and we got robbed for our last couple hundred bucks. Oh, no. This turned into an epic adventure because we gave all our shit away, traded it for some backpacks to the local Salvation Army. And we were told, we walked on the highway for a little bit to go head to Daytona, still on our track to Daytona. And some cop picked us up, and he felt bad for us. Because we were running away from home. And uh, he said we couldn't walk along the highway, but he drove us to the county line and pointed us to the train tracks that go along (laughs) the same route. He was like, don't walk on the highway anymore. That's crazy because, well, I guess he felt bad for you, but I've gotten a criminal trespassing charge for being on railroad tracks. Oh, really? Walking on railroad tracks in Iowa City. Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you, we did 104 miles along these fucking train tracks, dude. <laughs> Took us three days of hiking. And, uh, yeah, that was a long one. It was a long, crazy hike. But we but we made it there, and I never once got... Yeah, never once said anything, you know? Daytona beat, you know, yeah. Daytona was only 100 miles, so I'm sure there wasn't even a train station between where we were walking. Wow. And, uh, yeah, man. <clears throat> Landed in Daytona Beach. That was a huge uh, tangent I went off on there. But we landed on, in Daytona Beach and sold... More beers for this guy on the beach. A different kind of beer, though. Uh, <laughs> sold beer for this guy on the beach. And uh, eventually my friend uh, went back to the beer. And I had to leave his ass down there. So, <laughs> so I went back home with a tail between my legs. Shortly thereafter... How'd you get back? Uh, I had my mom buy me a Greyhound bus ticket. 
And, with uh, her debit card? Well, yes, <laughs> yep, with her new debit card. And uh, thank, you, thank you, Mom. I love you. Uh, and um, uh, on the way back, I met this beautiful, exotic dancer. Her name was Olivia, and uh, we... We ate some uh, we ate some <laughs> beers on the bus <laughs> on the way back, and uh, tripped our balls off. And uh, it was a uh, yeah, it was a good old time. Uh, we got home and we talked for months, me and this uh, girl. And I had the biggest crush on her, and uh, she brought me to Kentucky. She said, "Just come down here and see what it's like." And uh, man, if that wasn't the best thing that could have happened to me, it opened my eyes to a whole lot of you know culture that was not South Florida, <laughs> that was not Detroit, you know, a little m- more Midwest, a little more laid back, you know, some church going folks, which didn't hurt. I wasn't a fan of it at the time, but it didn't hurt. Yeah. And Kentucky was one of the most beautiful places I, I lived. Um, I spent... Uh, what years that then? <clears throat> well, I turned 18 when I lived in Kentucky and uh, used to sneak into this strip club that uh, our friend worked at she'd get me in uh, underage and uh, yeah so I was 18 all the way through 21 so three years three years I spent my 21st birthday there that on yeah a lot of bourbon drinking there yeah <laughs> <laughs> I went there first time I walked into a bar and I was like yeah I'll have a vodka on the rocks so, you know like you have a whatka no. <laughs> no. Here, here's a maker's mark. <laughs> Shut up. Drink, drink your maker's mark. I actually have a, a funny Daytona story. Uh, well, not Daytona, but it was Orlando. Uh, I We stayed in Daytona, but uh, I, I mentioned it in an earlier podcast, but we we rec- me and Rhiannon recently went to Universal Studios on our trip, yeah. and uh, we were staying in Daytona, and a good friend of mine who's from Iowa, but lives in uh, Daytona now, uh, Kyle Bully, we had one night before we flew out in Orlando to go to party in Orlando, and he knows some... Well, I know parties can be sick. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, just... Base. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we went to go check out uh, just like the bar scene, really, uh... Uh, my buddy Kyle's gay, and so he know, he knows a lot of cool, fun, entertaining spots. The first place we went was some bar. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like this underground, like red, like velvet seats and everything. And we we walked down, and it was actually a sex bingo night, just randomly. <laughs> and we're like, uh, so basically, you just it's free bingo. You play bingo, and then if you win, you win various. Dildos and lubricants and <laughs> sounds we, like Orlando. It, yeah, <laughs> that's we, Orlando in a nutshell, right there. <laughs> we didn't end up winning anything, but it was super entertaining. So then uh, he. Well, took, where'd this one come from then? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you brought in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. Anyways, <laughs> we went to. Uh, he took this other place that's called the Pea House. Have you ever heard of the Pea House? No. Never heard of the Pea House. Okay. No. So the pea house. What the rest of the story consisted of. It's super entertaining. <laughs> but uh, the pea house, uh, it's this old resort that it used to be called the Parliament House. And before the Turnpike existed, uh, people had to come through this road to go to Disney World. It was like I can't remember what the main stretch of road is, but before the Turnpike existed, this was like the pipeline. That went there from Orlando to like Daytona, I guess. Sure. 
it used to be like all like a big resort where families would stay like on their way to Disney World. Uh, in the in the 70s, at some point when the Turnpike got developed, they they lost so much business because no one was taking that way anymore. So some like gay hippie guy bought the place and turned it into literally a gay resort. So they have like it's like outdoor uh, hotel rooms that you know there's just two levels. And uh, it's it's pretty big. There's probably like two hundred. So it's like a motel. It's a glorified it, it, yeah, motel. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's a glorified motel. But they have like a pool and they have a bar and there was a sex shop and there was a uh, a club. So you you like walk in and it's just like you're you're at the fucking pee house and like you can go to the club. You can. I mean, there's like a. I think there's food place there. Like there's. It's just kind of like. Yeah, gay resort. Right. Uh, <laughs> so we go into uh, the, the the bar was called the Bear Bar, <laughs> and then uh, the club uh, it was it was a hip hop night, and it was super interesting because me and my girlfriend were literally the or and Kyle with us we were the only white people in the establishment beginning to end. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Never seen so many gay black people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was pretty entertaining, but uh, anyways, Kyle. Before we had to leave, this has turned into a, a giant rant, but it's it's pretty funny. So there's this game called Pea House Roulette, and what what it is is you walk around the hotel rooms, and uh, if the hotel room has their windows open, or I mean, or the shades uncovered, and you can and people are fucking, and you you're allowed to watch, but if uh, the window. If the doors open and there's people fucking, that means you can join. So <laughs> we were pretty intoxicated, and we started walking around <laughs> playing P. It's it's not P House Roulette. It's P House Bingo. <laughs> so we walk around and like literally looking, you know, like oh, uh. and uh, I actually started periscoping. You know, periscope. Yeah, is? I yeah. I started periscoping, which is uh, for those of you who don't know, it's an app. It's an app that allows you to just live stream whatever the hell you're doing, and then anybody in the world can watch. They just got to find you on the map and go in. So I was literally walking around wasted, like, like, oh, are we going to see anything? Are we going to see anything? <laughs> like, the only thing we saw was, uh, like, a 60-year-old dude with, like, his... Just a shirt on and his dick hanging out, but there's there's no fucking to be had. Like, oh. not, not that I'm disappointed. But yeah, there there is some fun to be had uh, if you go to to Orlando. <laughs> Interesting place <laughs> with the right tour guide, I suppose. But. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, so when you were during that whole period of time between. Uh, 16 or and and growing up what what kind of music were you into like oh man i think as a kid <clears throat> i grew up with more well my dad was a, a classic rocker he was a rock and roll dj out throughout my life growing up you know and a pretty well-known one and um so yeah, i was heavily influenced by the music that he listened to man you know it was a lot of rock and classic rock of the day um i think the first cd i ever wanted to buy was an Ozzy Osbourne CD because I liked the way the cover looked. <laughs> and my mom was like, absolutely not. He bites the heads off of animals. <laughs> like, so I remember that. I think I've always been into music that other people didn't like. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, liked a lot of rock and roll. And um, then, uh, <clears throat> then alternative, you know, I was into, you know, 
think Bush and No Doubt were the first concert I went to. That was because it was the first concert I went with my sister, but... That's a good concert, It was, it was a still a good concert, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then um, I got more introduced. As I got older, my dad started introducing me more into the concert scene, you know, and I got to go backstage with them and see the, like, inner workings of these big shows that were put on. And I was always fascinated by it. Um, but I think the first electronic music I heard, I mean, besides Sasha and Digweed, my sister used to listen to Sasha and Digweed constantly when I was a kid. Like, that was... Really? You know, yeah. Um, and uh, she'd play it for me. And I, you know, I don't know. I, when I was a kid, I didn't really get it. Um, and it was really brand new at the time. The whole concept was new. You know, I mean, I wasn't in that trending culture at the time. So, this DJ, uh, the first DJ I heard was this kid moved a couple houses down from me. He was from Texas. His name was Travis something or other. And uh, he played me DJ Kiyoki. And I think that was the first real electronic music that I heard and liked. You know? And it, it kind of re really got me thinking. I think that kind of switched the whole vibe. And then of course by that time I forget what station it was, but there was a station that played from, like, midnight to 2 a.m., like this, you know, really fast DJ Godfather juke music, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, junk -a junk -a junk -a you know, it was like... <laughs> but it, it was cool, man. It was the in thing at the time. So what was your first party, then? Oh, fuck. So the first party I think I went to was an under-the-bridge party, which was this fucking beautiful place under the Ambassador Bridge. And it would, we'd do 1,500 people, you know, I mean, it, well, that's what it felt like at the time, 800 to 1,500 people, I think. We did a lot of parties at the Packard plant. My first actual party was under the bridge, and I don't remember who spun, uh, you know, I snuck into the party, it was all kind of like an underground thing that I was doing with some older kids. But I think the first, first real party I remember was Plastic Man, Richie Houghton spinning at, uh, the Packard plant. It was a, that was an epic party. And if you guys have never been to Detroit or heard of the Packard plant, look it up. It's this amazing. It's I guess I might have these flip flops, but I think it's the largest abandoned structure in North America and the, or it, yeah, North America and the largest abandoned factory in the world. It's huge. I don't. Did I ever take you there? Uh -uh. Yeah. It's beautiful, you know. It's a it's become a haven for street art now. You know, it used to be a dangerous place. I think it probably is still is in some regards. But if you go in at daytime with a group of people, like you should, and you're smart about it, it's actually a really cool place to go explore and see all this history. But back in the day, they used to throw these massive raves there. They're completely illegal, dude. Massive raves, and I mean. You know, sometimes you got thrown in jail, sometimes you got searched and where your car got broken into, but for the most part, man, it flew. Like, it, it, nobody stopped us from, from throwing these massive parts. And uh, it, was a great, it was a great time to be alive and a great culture to grow up in. When did you realize that this was going to kind of be the direction of your lifestyle revolving around electronic music? You know, I did those parties as a kid, and... Um, I tried my hand at throwing a couple parties <laughs> uh, pretty unsuccessfully, I think. And I realized that I needed to gain some more fundamentals in, in what I was doing. And uh, Florida had that weather 
and at the time, you know, Ultra was starting to really become a thing. You know, I had moved back shortly to Detroit from Kentucky, and uh, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to go down there. <clears throat> Actually, what happened is that I had heard about Ultra, and I went down there for a year, and, and, or I went to Ultra one year. And I, what year? I was 22, so, uh, yeah, 22 years old, so that's 10 years ago. Okay. God, man, I'm terrible at time. 2006. 06 would have been my first one, but um, halfway through that year, I got a job traveling, uh, doing a musical uh, around the country. We did, actually did several musicals, but we ended up in Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, I <coughs> started working construction to supplement my shitty <laughs> acting career. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, work construction and uh, eventually I started making really good money <coughs> at my construction job and I was partying in Miami all the time and uh, it was weird man I, I went down and I was working at this club <coughs> and they kept talking about WMC, WMC, WMC I didn't know what the fuck it was I honestly did, had no idea I'd heard of Ultra before you know, I knew about the festival, but I hadn't heard about Winter Music Conference at all. And mm -hmm. so, <clears throat> I was working at a club as a small-time promoter. I was, after partying there so many times and bringing all these girls, they were like, you should probably just, you know, make some money to do this for us, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I did that at night after I was done with my construction job. And uh, my car broke down one night on the, on the way to work, and I had never... Never heard of WMC, mind you. I knew it was a big deal. I knew we were supposed to have all hands on deck for it. But uh, I ended up stalling out in one of the worst parts of Miami, right across the bridge from South Beach. And uh, I'm dressed to the nines, you know? So I like, can't really walk through and walk up to a payphone. You know, my cell phone's dead. And I had to walk. I had to walk three miles across this bridge. And uh, I got to this bar and I called into work and I was like this is what happened I'm definitely not coming in I gotta get my truck towed or my car towed or whatever and uh, <clears throat> this Englishman at the end of the bar starts you know talking to me all friendly like and you know we bought each other a couple drinks or whatever and uh, you know he asked about what I did and I told him I was a promoter and I love music and all this and he goes yeah it's music week this week I said yeah I heard and uh, after talking to this guy for about an hour and a half, he goes, uh, if you ever want to talk business, come up, you can come up to my room. Or if you want to continue to talk business, you can come up to my room. I'm upstairs. And I was like, some 60-year-old guy, you know, asking me to come up to his room <laughs> in Miami Beach. It was probably not a good, not the outcome that I wanted. But he gave me his card anyway, and uh, we said our polite goodbyes, and that was it. And a uh, bartender came over to me, and he goes, <clears throat> Are you stupid? And I was like, No. And he goes, uh, That guy just invited you back up to his room. And I was like, Yeah, I got the innuendo, dude. And uh, he goes, No, man. That guy has the penthouse at this place. And he's like one of the major, major players in this whole weekend that goes down. Little did I know, I was holding um, Ale or Steve Coe's business card in my hand, who is 
Alex Coe's father. Alex Coe is Sasha. Oh, wow. So, full circle kind of a deal. I uh, called this guy called this guy up, and uh, after a couple <laughs> couple frantic phone calls, he returned my call the next day and had me meet him, and I started promoting with them and helping them kind of arrange their shows. And I was just a little monkey. I did whatever they asked me to do, you know? It was a book, you know, go in and talk to the club manager and see how many tickets or give the wristbands or do, you know what I mean? It was just all simple stuff. But they gave me a shot in it and it was really cool, man. That was hard. I really decided that's what I wanted to do. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I want to keep going down this road uh, before we get too deep into Miami and whatnot. I want to address that you do, uh, you've had, you've been struggling with uh, health issues your whole life. What are they or when did that start happening? The... I, I always knew, ever since I was a little kid, that I had this condition called Marfan syndrome, which is a connective tissue disease. I'm not going to go too deep into it. Look it up. But uh, I was told that I would have to keep an eye on my heart throughout the rest of my life. And that was fine. Um, but there are all these other inherent complications that I wasn't told about that started appearing when I was like 17, 18, 19, where my lungs would collapse and sometimes one, sometimes the other, sometimes both at the same time. And uh, this was just a, a, yeah, a condition of life for me. It was something that I couldn't really do much about. We went in, did multiple corrective surgeries that were supposed to fix it. And, you know, every time it was like, yep, it's fixed. And then two months later, I'd be back in with another collapse long. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, so we went, we went through that for a good long while. Happy to say that uh, most of it is out of my way now. I'm on track for uh, my last surgery, which is actually tomorrow, believe it or not. Ow! ow. Uh, yeah, so uh, that'll be the end of that little history. But it gave me a whole, that you know, that kind of played into this whole growing of me and Afterglow and our friendship and everything else, man, because I, I still, growing up, from growing up in Detroit, had a long, hard road to learn, man, because not everybody acts like they're, they live in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That was a tough one for me to grasp onto because I've I still put up all these defensive walls in weird ways, you know. And that was that was a tough thing to learn. But I think through my illness and and through doing, you know, still staying in a com- strong community and, um, but having the realization that life is too short to be a dick, mm-hmm. you know, really helped me kind of get all this on track. Uh, yeah, just just to give the people an idea, how many uh, collapsed lungs do you think you have, or how many surge- oh, how many ta- how many days have you spent in a hospital? Collaboratively or like over total? I think I think total. We're looking at <clears throat> close to two and a half years. Wow. Maybe in a hospital bed, you know, thirty days, sixty days, ninety days at a time. You know, and then there was plenty of one or two days where I was in there and a small deal, and they didn't have to do a chest tube or whatever. Or I had mm-hmm. to go in for scans or whatever. Um, I've been in uh, two helicopter rides. Uh, I've uh, I flatlined once. I've never, you know, um, I don't really remember that. I don't remember that experience. But <clears throat> you know, all those things. Every time it happened, I told myself. I'm going to get better. And you know what happened? Every time it did. Mm-hmm. I got a little bit better every time. You know? And I was like, what is it that I'm cutting out of my life this time? You know? Because it's, it's too precious, man. You mm-hmm. know? There's, a, there's, there's no room for bullshit. Only, only room for 
real nigga shit. Absolutely. You're a fucking fighter, that's for sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you were there through a lot of it, too, man. Shit, man. I mean, mm-hmm. people like you who were constant and, you know, calling me on the phone and everything else, man, I couldn't have done oh, yeah. it without that. I couldn't have. Hey, you're, you're one, your first time coming to Iowa with me to stay for a couple of weeks, and you ended up being in the hospital for like 80% of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> you're to Iowa, and he goes to the hospital like the whole time. <laughs> that shitty Iowa air you guys yeah, got there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were, so yeah, you were saying uh, how you got involved in Miami, so this would have been 2006. 2006 was the first time. 2007, I I met another promoter um, who uh, is actually also a Denver local too, but uh, I met him down there, and uh, he knew Sasha and Digweed really well as well from from doing parties um, and doing their annual boat party. And so I got to see a little bit of what his life was like. We had a debaucherous weekend with a whole lot of beers, of all different kinds. Uh, I think we were up for about seven days straight. Microdot bruise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so at that point, I, uh, I really wanted to reach out further. And so I started looking into what it, what it takes to get into festival and music production. You know, I mean, there are many years of going to these big festivals and, and doing club promotions for, you know, Acts, but I, I really wanted to put the whole thing together, man. I wanted to see, you know, how how the stages come in and how everything gets erected, and how, you know, at the time, festivals were, you know, I mean, Ultra was around, but there weren't huge festivals like this going on like there are now with the EDM culture. Yeah, you know, you had to travel to go to a good show, um, and Ultra was really one of those. You know, it was a great, great first for me, I guess. You oh, know, yeah. to see to see it, it larger than life form because it's not always that way, but the base is always still there. And if you do it the right way, you've always still got that awesome crowd of people like they had at Ultra two thousand six. Yeah, you know, um, and so that that sort of segues man into into uh, you know getting back to Detroit again and. Um, I had to pay for some stupid ass mistakes that I made when I lived in Detroit, when I lived in Detroit and was making mistakes as a kid. And I did seven months in jail, and I got out. <coughs> at this after more health problems, I got out, and we went, uh, or I I went uh, to one of the founders of Paxahow, Jason Clark, and I was like, how can I get involved in in movement? You know. And uh, he said, he said, well, you just start by volunteering. So I volunteered for him for a year, and I came back the second year as a volunteer. Um, they, they loved me, I loved it, you know, it was moving, shaking. Once again, I'm back to the low man on the totem pole. Nobody cares about your references, really, in this industry, unless you're a promoter, unless it's who you've booked. Yeah. You know, otherwise you start as a grunt and you work your, your way up, you know. I hadn't really done anything at that point in time so I was just happy to be there mm-hmm. and halfway through the second year they they um, cut me out of the volunteer team and put me on as a production assistant trainee and uh, I've always gone back as a production assistant for them every year 
since then because the Paxahau family is is way different from any festival I've ever worked anywhere. Um, the, the the crew is, the solidarity amongst them is v- very Detroit. Very cool, very solid, um, but they're very close circle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hard thing to penetrate. So, um, but I learned a lot from even these guys who kept their their secrets pretty close and I'm thankful for that too yeah it's awesome to see you get it just every watching you every year become more and more like part of the team and going from a volunteer to getting paid and yeah I've, I've been able to do every job that there is I mean you know I've picked up trash I've you know I've swung lights and, and hung rigs and climbed shit and you know mm-hmm. hung curtains and moved speakers and set guitars I mean you you name it, you know, and then we've hooked up PAs and now run lighting systems and run projection systems and run sound, you know. And every year I just strive to learn one new piece of the pie, mm-hmm. you know. So 2006 was your first ultra. My first ultra was 2008, and that was uh, when we actually met. So in 2008, I was a uh, junior at the University of Iowa. I just gotten my student loans for the for the month or for the semester, and I saw the lineup for Ultra, and I, I'd never been for it. Was the 10th year anniversary too? It was uh, 2008, and I had been to Florida once before, but I had flown. It was going to see Daft Punk at Bang Music Festival at the same bicentennial. Bicentennial. Yeah. Bicentennial Park, where it is. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the in 2008 I was like I saw that lineup and back at the time I was you know way into trance I was super young and trance still sounded good at that time. Sure. <laughs> but uh yeah, I saw that lineup and and I couldn't get anybody else to go and I ended up taking my uh my alcoholic of a roommate and uh at least he was able to split the gas and like and make it down there, but I I literally went down there Decided like two days before that we were doing it. Drove down there, didn't know anybody in Miami, and my plan was just to really just meet some people and maybe trade them some beers to stay in their in their <laughs> hotel room or something. I actually didn't even. Uh, I had my. I had to have my parents rent me a car because I, for whatever reason, my credit card didn't have a high enough limit or something. So I had to lie to them that I was going to like St. Louis. <laughs> I told them I was going to St. Louis and I didn't want to take my car because it was a piece of shit. <laughs> so we rented a car and we fucking drove down there, fucking 25 hours from Iowa. <clears throat> And we, we drive directly to the party, like it, like Ultra's going on on Friday. It's two days at this point. Sure. So yeah, we go down there Friday, and we literally get there, and I think it was only, I think it was like 120 bucks for both days, like super legit. And I remember being heavily intoxicated and seeing Rabbit and the Moon, Crystal Method for the first time, and a whole bunch of other shit, but uh, actually it was, and so one of the first people I saw was Justice on the main stage. They were doing a DJ set. And that's when uh, I stumbled into you and uh, you you had asked if I knew where to get any good beers. (laughs) And I said I have some good beers. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like me. So uh, you drank those beers and and I I was drinking them too. And (laughs) 
after like 15 minutes, you came back over to me, you're like, what's up, dude? And I was like, uh, yeah, just hanging out. And you're like, yeah, I don't really feel those beers. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I really feel those beers, so I think you just need to wait. <laughs> and you're like, dude, all right. in all fairness, those 15 minutes felt like a fucking long hour. Right? <laughs> and I wanted my beers to be kicking in by but. So I was like, well, listen, dude, uh, we got each other's phone numbers. We're planning on hanging out the, the rest of this weekend. Like, everything will be all right. There's plenty of beers to go around. We ended up just, you know, like, going our separate ways or whatever, just like as you do at yeah. a festival. Yeah, and that was it, man. I didn't hear from you, uh, and I didn't I didn't call you, but uh, the next day, the next night at Ultra, I was at the main stage, but like a completely different area, and Paul Van Dyke was playing on the main stage. And uh, I was actually videotaping at that point, or on, I was. I have this on video. This moment on video, I was recording it, the the stage, and then this tall guy with a white mask like gets in my face, and then just like wraps his arms around me and gives me this hug, and I'm like, oh, this is a stranger must be really fucked up. I don't know who the hell this is. Whatever. <laughs> okay, cool. Hugs are cool. And then you took off your mask. I'm like, oh my god, Alex, holy shit. What are the chances did I run yeah, into you? And yeah, I guess we gotta say, like, both times we met that time, like, there's 50, at least 50,000 people in front of the stage. Like, it's a massive stage. Oh, yeah. And somehow we managed to, yeah, paths crossed at those points. And you took your mask off and you're like, dude, I am so sorry. Oh, needless <laughs> to say, I think we forgot to mention that the beers ended up kicking in and they were really good beers. <laughs> 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 but uh yeah you're like i'm so sorry man <laughs> i can't believe that so yeah uh amends were made and uh it was it was a solid friendship but i i didn't really understand how solid that friendship would be because or, or how like destined this really was because so cut to that was my first like major or one of my first big edm festival or electronic festivals that was my first time at ultra and miami and then shortly, a couple months later, I went to Detroit for my first time. I remember it was, uh, yeah, 2008, and tickets were, I got my ticket for 35 bucks on the internet. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. And uh, the first day, uh, Saturday of the festival, just exploring, literally my first time ever walking up to the Beatport stage, and you know, there's, there's maybe like, like 100 people there, not a whole lot, because it's early on in the day. And I look over, I'm like, is that fucking Alex? <laughs> and I went over, and we're like, what? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm like... <laughs> well, I live there. <laughs> hey, and yeah, he's like, I live here. I'm like, I thought you lived in Miami. You're like... I, I live in both. I'm like, you live in the place with like two of the craziest festivals? Like, <laughs> that is just gangster. <laughs> so after that, yeah, that ensued years and years of... Uh, Debaucherous, De- lots debauchery. of consumption of beer. Yes, yes. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Are there any stories we want to tell about over the years? Something. Yeah, I'll never forget the time that we were walking into Ultra and we had bought a fucking um, like a, I mean, probably three hundred whipped cream chargers. Yeah, we were, we and this were, is ten years. This is literally ten years, or no, I guess eight years, <laughs> almost. Yeah. A day. But we're adults now, so right. <laughs> we don't do this kitty dumb shit anymore. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. Speak for, <laughs> speak for yourself. No, yeah, man. I mean, we were walking in, and we yeah, we had uh, 
we had probably a couple hundred nitrous chargers, and uh, they had given us, because we had gotten our badges from WMC, um, they had given us our uh, WMC bags that year. Was that 2010? Yeah, because it was... No, it was 2009. 2009. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was 2010, you're right. Because 2009 was the year that Jordan came down. Okay. The year Carly came was... Carly and Joe and Paul came down. Right. Yeah. Okay, so... It was 2010, and they were giving us these... Um, DJ bags, like vinyl bags. It was like the shoulder. 25th anniversary of WMC, so if you bought the badge, you got a free, like, record bag. It right. Was, it was awesome. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, they had this little plastic flap, I guess, to keep your vinyl from sagging. It helps keep the bottom of the bag, like. Yeah, nice and flat, right? Yeah, so like a rectangle. You can keep your stuff in there. And um, <laughs> we put a couple hundred nitrous chargers under there and I remember walking in and I don't remember who we were walking up to at the time, serves me right because we were using a little metal cracker like one of the ones that you fill the balloons yeah, up with. Yeah, one of the balloons with. And uh, we were just doing it straight out of the stage. Well we thing. were actually, we were at a, we were at Sander Kleinenberg he was on one of the stages and we, we were like to the right of the stage. I mean, but we were just walking into this thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure. We had just gotten in the entrance. We had just gotten everybody turned around. And we were Oh, yeah. No, the first thing we did is we walked were, to that stage. Yeah, yeah. So we're, like, surrounded by, like, at least 5,000 people. We're on the, like, right side of the stage. Oh, yeah. But, well, f- first off, we were doing them into the balloon, like you're supposed to. <laughs> And then, like, my genius ass is like, why do we even need the balloon? We can just do it straight. <laughs> Out of the little fucking thing. So we do that a couple rounds, and then... Yeah, it was like playing Russian roulette. Cause that we didn't know we were. <laughs> we, yeah, we had no idea, yeah. <laughs> On the involuntary Russian roulette. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I grabbed that charger, and I, I, cra- I squeezed it down like I did do, put it up to my mouth, and I'm, I'll never forget the sound because when I just unseated it a little bit, it made this <laughs> noise and yeah, and all this gas exploded in my face and yeah. it, it was frightening. I saw it, yeah, it was frightening. So like you know, you go to pull that kind of thing away from your face. Um, little did I know that my lips had already completely super frozen <laughs> to, to this object of metal. Uh, and I yanked a, like a quarter inch of chunk lip out of <laughs> my top and bottom lip. But I, we all learned a valuable lesson that day, and you can thank me, and everybody else can thank me for this either, too. Um, if you ever go up to a festival where they're charging $8 for a bottle of water, and all you do is run up with a bloody rag in your hand and put it to your face and pass everybody in line, they and will yell, give you whatever, water, water, whatever water. you need. All you need to do, you don't even need to say anything. They probably can't even hear you. You put the rag to your face, you have lots of, lots of blood or blood color on it, and they'll give you whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me probably, yeah. fi- uh, over the course of the day, 15 waters. We need more waters? Of, All right, yeah, I'll go get them. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, fuck, I need water. <laughs> Here you go. Thank you. <laughs> And yeah, when that when that exploded, man, I was looking directly at you, and I saw your eyes just light up, 
and you brought your hand down and you went oh fuck and before you could even like say the whole word fuck blood just started pouring from your mouth like a stream of blood and we're like oh my god like surrounded by 5,000 people like what do we do and you took off and like that's when you went and got the towel and everything came back we were like oh my god dude so fucking nuts yeah (laughs) yeah don't do drugs kids yeah (laughs) or do them correctly if you're gonna do them yeah, what uh, what other fucking crazy ultra story? Well, there was the one, uh, the last time we went in 2010 when we were at Santa Kleinerberg played at the Shelbourne. And uh, you, we went out, or this, the Santa Kleinerberg show had just gotten out. We just, we were made really good friends with these guys from Michigan. And we're all like, oh, let's go to the beach and fucking watch the sunrise together. It'll be the perfect end of the whole crazy week-long WMC festival. And Alex, being the nice guy he is, he's like, well, we're going to need towels if we're going to be getting in the ocean at this hour. So he turns around to go get towels, and... (laughs) Dude, I... I'll never forget it. These guys were pissed, these Michiganders, who I thought were cool. We hung on them all weekend, showed them VIP treatment, got them into different bars, you know, brought beers over, shared beers and more beers with them. And uh, and uh, they got pissed because we couldn't get them into that show, that closing show. And uh, yeah, man, I walked into that. I walked in. I'll never forget the sound of the gate closing behind me because it closed a good thirty seconds after I walked into the pool area to get mm-hmm. the. So I was like, that was weird. And I turned around, and before I could get my head one hundred and eighty degrees, man, they had me on the ground. They beat the ever-living shit out of me. That's mm-hmm. the biggest ass whooping I ever took, man. Wow. Yeah, they, they, well, you, yeah, they, they beat me up. They took my wallet. They took my phone. You know, I had, I had, I had gotten paid, and I, I had shit tons of money on me, and they knew it. So, um, yeah, man. And then the next thing, I, I mean, I, I, they, they. I had just had surgery at that point in time. Oh, man. And I was like, the one guy was choking me out and the other guy's kicking me in the face and I'm like, I was like, I just had heart surgery. You're going to kill me. And that was when they let go of me and they they took off running and that's when I came down and found you guys on the beach, man. Yeah, your fucking jeans are ripped. You're bleeding. We're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you look like a what? zombie walking <laughs> up. Like, we're like, where are the towels? We're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I still never got the towels. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was a rough weekend, man. <laughs> that was a rough fucking weekend, man. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> what, yep. <laughs> Hashtag Gurr Mondays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so now, uh, yeah, we find yourself in Denver. When did you move here? Well, well, um, you were okay, so. Yeah, you were living in Detroit before Denver. Then, yeah, right? Detroit's always been like a home base for me. You know, it's always been a good place to go because I know I got solid solidity. You know, I mean, I've got solid footing there. I can go there, and I've got I've got a really well established circle of friends there and they're always going to be there we've we know that we've you know i've got a good good family there that i can always go chill with just like i'm growing here um but no place ever felt like home until i came out to denver i came out came out here to visit one time and uh i um 
took an interview for an internship and and I stayed with you as a matter of fact and uh, I fucking I loved it I, I fell in love with the view of the mountains I fell in love with the weather I fell in love with the people and I hadn't even really experienced a one one thousandth of what Colorado even had to offer you know I think I was stuck inside half the time because of the boulder floods but uh, anyway I knew I wanted to come back and I was offered the internship position and so I came back um, that was two years ago, November, so I'm like, uh, almost two, two and two and a quarter years. So yeah, how, how's it been so far out here? Oh man, I, you know, fucking, I love it. I, I came out here, I, uh, went through an internship program. I also studied some art, art more artsy stuff on the side. I did tattoo for a little while and, uh, that was all well and good, but quickly found out that living in Denver and working two jobs for free isn't going to get you very far. So I, <laughs> I gave up the tattoo stuff and the internship ended. And uh, I had to make a decision at that point in time. It was, do I go back to Detroit with the knowledge that I've learned um, and, and apply it here in the scene? Um, where, mind you, Paxahow already is, and like I said, they're the biggest, and they have a very close-knit circle. There wasn't really much hope of me getting into that, mm-hmm. and there wasn't much hope of me being competition to that. Um, and I saw how, I don't want to say how easy it was to be a promoter out here, but I, 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 how, but how easy it was to be a promoter out here, you know, and come in and, and really you know, have people hear you out, see something. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy job by any means, but you know, you get, you get stop blocked in LA. They do slimy, slimy shit. If you're encroaching on somebody else's party, they're calling the cops on your party and they're getting you shut down and all that stuff. (laughs) There's a little bit of fairness out here to it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, Hey man, you do your parties. I'll do my parties. We'll leave each other alone. Just, you know, there's enough attendance to go around. There's definitely (laughs) enough attendance to go around. Exactly. So, um, you know, that vibe really struck me, and I just said, this would be the perfect place to launch this idea that I'd had for a while. And I didn't know it as Afterglow at the time. We, I mean, I think uh, we came up with the name Afterglow sitting around a bar table together, you, me, and Derek Saucier, and somebody else, you mm-hmm. know, sat there and thought up, thought up, you know, what we were going to do is we were going to start throwing parties here and really kind of putting our vibe on things. The vibe, the vibe here has is, is always been good, but, you know, it's never the one that's, it was never the one that we experienced during those, those first years at Ultra, you know, and I'm not talking about the EDM culture that, that now I, I mean, like when, when it was still underground above ground, mm-hmm. you know, that was, you know, everybody hated techno, you know, still yeah. everybody was in the Nelly, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, what is Afterglow and what have you, how, how's it grown so far? So, the, the mantra of Afterglow is community. It, it's always been community. I've always wanted to work together with other promoters, other DJs. I want to implement, um, you know, my fans' ideas, the people who come to my parties. I want them to have an input on what's going on. Um, but in the same regard, I want to know that I'm going to get the same amount of respect out of um, the people that come to my parties as the people 
you know, that are throwing them or that are attending them, you know? That's why um, we have started to go a little more private. We don't advertise like the big ones here in Denver, you know? Um, we, we hand out discreet business cards that, you know, when, when you're deemed cool enough, you kind of get a ticket into the club. And then once you've been in the club, then you're in the club. And, you know, you, everyone reserves the right to be kicked out of my club or our club. You know, I really want it to be everybody's club, but I want it to be a place where you can come in, have a special event like a rave, you know, or like a big party from back in the day, maybe have 100, 150 people there, but know that you're around 150 of the choicest people and spend some quality close time with the headliners at the same time. One of the cool things or unique things about your business too, and an idea you have that's uh, manifested is the glow bus. Uh, yeah, for those who don't know about it, what's the Glow Bus? <laughs> the Glow Bus, man, was a, a brilliant idea that came after a couple beers <laughs> and, a, and a night with my girlfriend mad at me. I had been trying to figure out mobile. St- I had been trying to figure out a way to get a stage, a fully professional stage for an outdoor show for less than thirty thousand dollars. You know, and aside from renting from like a party rental company that wasn't really it. That wasn't the whole shebang. You know, I did, I needed a full sound setup. I needed everything. Um, and we pondered this for a good long while, a month or so while we were planning this outdoor festival. And, uh, after a couple beers one night, I woke up the next day and, uh, my girlfriend says, I sat straight up in bed and looked at, looked over at her and said, I know what we have to do. And she's like, okay, what is it now? You know, rolls her eyes at me. And uh, I, I said, we have to build a stage that can go anywhere, like a fully professional stage, something that, you know, any of the headliners would be proud to play on and not be like, I played on this janky carnival stage, you know? And so I was like, I toyed with the idea of trailers and everything else. And I said, you know what? No, it has to be self-powered, you know? Make these make these vehicles, and it wasn't just, I mean, at the time, I was just thinking one, and the the bus came along, um, what never manifests the way you have it in your head the first time, right, but um, it came out better, bigger and better, we found a bus on Craigslist for a thousand dollars, put a year of hard work into it, stripped it down, and, and, and built it back up into a custom artist lounge with one of the most banging sound systems on the inside. We've got um, 8,000 watts running to the inside now uh, after our upgrade, and we do about 10,000 watts to the outside. But we're we're pushing, you know, 127, 100, 130 dBs, you know, mm-hmm. inside the bus, you know, which is the sound of a jet engine. Yeah. As loud as a jet engine taking off from 100 feet, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had some good times on the bus. You brought it up to together, which was cool. Yeah, and you have people play on the bus. Yeah, so you know the bus itself is um, a mobile stage, right? Mm-hmm. So the inside of it is definitely an artist lounge, um, but the ultimate purpose is that we can pull up with this bus and do um, a party of three hundred to three thousand outdoors all on a self-contained rig mm-hmm. um like i said we got ten thousand watts of power powering the exterior 
we can do a 7.1 surround sound for 500 people, which sounds fantastic, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, or we can set the speakers up in an exponential with a delay to do a straight crowd of, you know, 2,500 through 3,500 people outdoors. I mean, mm -hmm. you pick the space, and we can, we can go big. We can go really big with it. And it all sets up in less than two hours. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, we are, uh, I've gotten to play the bus a couple times. Uh, one of the most notable, though, is uh, uh, Halloween, or the Wednesday before Halloween this year. Uh, John Digweed played at Vinyl, and uh, you had me and my uh, best friend Jimmy came in from uh, California, and we did Sonic and Sonic Muckles. Uh, we played, the bus was parked in front of the club, and yeah, we just played outside for people in line and smoking cigarettes, so it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that, was a, that was a damn good show, man, and and it's funny, uh, it came around kind of full circle because uh, um, the promoter who kind of got me really in the loop with Sasha and John Digweed boat parties and everything that went on in Miami... Um, was actually the promoter for that show. So here we are, how many years later, gone Kaz? full... Yeah. Kaz is the one who introduced me, or really introduced me to the Sasha and John Digweed boat parties that were going on my second year at Ultra. Um, then, now, here we are full circle this many years later when I was just getting an interest in the business, and Kaz contacted me with an offer to uh, use the bus out in front of vinyl get a little bit of exposure you know um mm -hmm. we had only done one party with it previously up in the mountains with uh these two guys from uh detroit golf clap it was really fucking awesome um and we thought yeah w proof of concept is there we need to take it big now and kind of do it in front of show and you guys came out and killed it killed it mm -hmm. you came out killed it rhiannon killed it on the deck oh, yeah and rhiannon played too oh man <laughs> yeah yeah it was a that was a that was a great show Heck yeah, a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny how that works, too, because that was supposed to get a whole lot of exposure for the bus. And I've talked to tons of people who are at that party. I mean, I've talked to probably over 50 people who are at that party. And people don't remember seeing the bus out there. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a good thing. I think that was kind of like we created a good enough atmosphere that people walked out and didn't even realize that they were, like, outside of the club standing and, you know had a whole nother room outside yeah you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> so completely uh so yeah what uh upcoming uh, plans and events do you have for the bus uh well we uh have a really amazing party that's coming up early spring it's called glow chateau and we're going to take the bus up um we've got nine rooms for rent uh, one has got nine individual bunks. The rest of the rooms are king and queen size beds or d multiple double beds. Um, but we're going to rent out by the room, and it's going to be a live-in scenario with the headliner. Two days, all-inclusive with the ride and, uh, and uh, passes for hot springs and uh, snow tubing, which may or may not be a thing uh, at that point in time now that we have to push the, push the dates back. Um, uh, we are also working on our second vehicle now. Uh, it's going to be a truck, a pickup truck. That's going to be a little bit smaller rig than the bus. We'll still be able to do a good 600 to 1,000 person party outdoors. Um, but we wanted something that was a little more versatile. Like when we spent uh, time up at Together um, and all uh, you know, several mountain parties we did this summer. 
um, the bus, you know, couldn't take some of those back backwoods places. Oh man, places. it's amazing it got that far up there. Yeah, yeah it actually <laughs> is. Trooper. Yeah, it is a trooper. She took some. She, he took some bangs from it, but. Uh, but uh, we wa- we decided that the next one that we were going to do is going to be a little more versatile, so we could get out into smaller crowds, still do something that's completely professional sound, professional lighting, something you'd never expect to see that sets up in fifteen or twenty minutes, you know, Hell and yeah. still accommodates a good party. Excellent. Yeah. Heck yeah! So, anything else for Afterglow too? Any other? Yeah, events? we with uh, with Afterglow, we we're gonna do um, a whole new segment of it. You know, I'm still gonna throw. I still like to throw parties like Thanksgiving that are open to the public, that are still kind of, you know, advertised, so on and so forth. Um, but I think our main focus is gonna become on, uh, or is gonna be on um, Afterglow Private. We're starting a new a new segment of that where we're gonna do a little bit higher dollar, um, a little, but it's it, more than money. It's going to be uh, an application process in order to be part of part of the team, and we haven't quite worked out how to do that without being biased completely yet. But we do want to make it a little more exclusive. We want to know that. Um, you know, we could sit down next to our international headliners, you know, and, and, and Glow Chateau will be that first experiment of that to see, you know, whether we can find the balance of charging somebody for a party um, and still expecting them to maintain uh, some level of composure, even maybe, maybe I'd go so far as to say be nice, you know, be normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Contribute and, and to the vibe. Contribute to the vibe rather than take away from anybody's vibe. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly right. Bitch, don't kill my vibe. <laughs> don't kill my vibe. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to helping out and, and playing shows coming up for you and, and everything. Oh, man. Well, dude, you're always my resident DJ. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to any of Beat Tsunami's stuff, man, he's got tracks. You're all about to. Club. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's right. We're we're coming up on oh, it, shit. folks. Uh, well, we're, yeah, we're coming down to the home stretch of the podcast, and we're at the uh, best and worst segment here. So, nice. Uh, yeah, Alex, let us know uh, what what's the uh, best best and worst musical experience you've ever had. Um. Dude, you know, you're asking this question, uh, there's so many possible answers for this. Music is my life, it's my everything, it's what made me want to get into this. So there have been a lot of discovery moments that were great, but um, my favorite musical experience was um, at this little music festival called Bass Camp in the middle of Michigan. And uh, uh, they had Stanton Warriors come out and play in the middle of the night, uh, on a pretty much what was like a converted shed into a barn on this tiny little property, and Stan Warriors blew my mind that night. There was what no, year was that? Uh, that was that was not that long ago, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, something like that. Right on. Um, and uh, yeah, it killed it, dude. Uh, there was he took me on that. They took me on such a journey. Or I'm sorry, no. It was only one of them at the party. I think only Dom Dominic showed up. Uh, something happened with the flight. Um, oh shit! Yeah. So 
everybody thought that that the promoter was lying about it too because it was like oh yeah stanton's flights got all messed up and they're not gonna make it and everybody's like yeah you just you know everybody kind of doubted it for a minute man they thought they thought he was playing everybody to get him to buy tickets <laughs> so uh but of course dom ended up showing up and man it was it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> worst one was uh, last year at Red Rocks, dude. I, they'd say it, Pretty Lights. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Pretty Lights music. You know, you can weird out to it sometimes, but um, but you go for the show. And uh, I went on um, just one hit of beer. And... <laughs> Uh, I was by myself, and yeah, man, the poor guy was slumped over the decks, dude. He was so. Dude, he's a, he's into heroin. He's a heroin. He? Yeah, he's, he's a, a heroin junkie. junkie, and uh, he he like was you know if I could give a visual visual reference over this, I would. But he's just slumped like this, mm-hmm. you know, at, pushing buttons at, like, and the like, greatest tracks in tracks would at, like, end. Nine thousand people. Tracks would end. And it'd be 30 seconds before something else came on, you know? And then he said, uh, I think, like, two and a half hours into his set, he's like, i got to take a 20-minute break. And then he left for 45 minutes. And, yeah, and then it had, like, Red Rocks playing the Red Rocks music. I couldn't fucking believe it, dude. Wow. It was It was completely, it was completely bad vibe. And then shortly thereafter, while I was just peeking out, um, this girl uh, OD'd in front of me somehow or went into a seizure and it was like all this happening all at the same time so that was like, absolutely the worst musical experience I've ever had I, the, the, the music was awful the, the lighting wasn't even good to make up for the crappy you know and, and, then, and then all that happened it was just yeah so I hate to say it sorry buddy get off, get off the shit bro yeah <laughs> <laughs> Playing at Red Rocks doesn't get you high enough. I mean, fun. God, you know, like <laughs> talk about somebody who's got the world by the balls, yeah. you know, and fucking just. All right, so yeah, uh, best and worst festival you've worked at. Uh, best and one we've. Oh well, that the. See, that's a two. That's a that's a loaded question because it's the same festival. Uh, the worst festival I ever worked was Stereo Terra. It also happened to be the best one because um, it was a one-time festival. It was produced by people who were film producers and thought that that translated into the music world and it was going to be the same thing. And it's completely fucking different. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the whole the whole show bombed. The uh, Jennies failed t- several times, the forcing the headliners to play a set in the grass with like eight or ten people around them oh, like man. the headliners to their party in Michigan? yeah uh, it's called Stereo Terra um, they didn't pay anybody they paid the I pay, as far as I know they paid all their headliners or most of their headliners um, but uh, yeah they, they left all their vendors wanting and they wrote bad checks for new generators and um, yeah it, it was a mess um, lost in translation and, and uh, I was sober the whole weekend and it became the best festival I've ever worked because at the end of the festival, uh, my girlfriend came into my tent and had found um, <laughs> a sizable amount of illicit substance 
<laughs> let's just say. Um, and and uh, yeah, we just discovered that uh, and had pretty much all we ever needed for the rest of our lives. <laughs> as far as beers went. <laughs> uh, Alright, so yeah, uh, last one is uh, festivals attended, best and worst. Uh, best festival I've ever attended was uh, my first EDC, believe it or not. Um, I think it was... The first year I went was 2000... And, well, what was the first year? It was in Vegas. 2008, 2009. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was 2000, <laughs> 2009. My memory. Too many beers. Um, <laughs> too many years and too, too many, many beers. Too many years and too many beers. <laughs> um, no, man, the reason that my, my, the first EDC was so important to me wasn't necessarily because of the culture or the skimpy outfits or anything like that. It was um, the sheer scale of it. It was amazing to see what had before I realized what a disaster it was it was really beautiful to see how many people had come together through this movement that when I was a kid was underground mm -hmm. you know what I mean and like you walk into this and you know here's 300,000 of your closest friends mm -hmm. you know uh, you know and uh, there's one or two assholes here and there but that's that's completely <laughs> diametrically opposed to everyday life you know yeah, I mean, yeah. well, now everyday life is the ma majority of people either ignore you or are slightly rude or you know I, I hate to say that I'm not trying to be cynical but it seems to be true to me I mean you walk into these festival experiences and people are just amazingly open and warm and so I, f I felt that at EDC the first one that's mm -hmm. why I love it so much oh yeah um, and the worst one I ever went to was uh uh this music festival in Florida called Langerado. Um, it happened a couple I remember years, seeing the flyer for that. Having a couple of years in a row, and uh, I, uh, I had a, a pretty well. I didn't, but a close friend of ours had a really bad trip, and we ended up in security for a bunch of the time. It was a good, not a bad festival, but um, the experience. What, the experience was was crazy, um, and it all stemmed from um, being a little too fucked up. Uh, when a huge tropical storm came through and nobody was really prepared for it. They didn't have lights out to get people around. People were lost trying to find their tents. There was a mass panic in the crowd. And, like, that was all, you know, it was poorly planned. It was like uh, what I heard what happened at Tomorrow World yeah, this year. Yeah. And nobody planned for they're still rain. They're still doing it, which is amazing, too. What's what that? Oh, they're still going to, yeah. They're still going to keep doing it. Oh, well, because it's Tomorrow Tomorrow World, or, I mean, it's Tomorrow Land. At the same spot, I'm pretty sure too, though, and everything. Like, sure, know, yeah, this is probably with, hopefully with a better flood plan next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll kind of wrap this thing up then. Uh, yeah, where can people find you online and Afterglow and the Globe? Yeah, Bus? man, we've got we got a social media presence. We're working on that right now. It's still pretty exclusive, so you can check it out at um, facebook.com forward slash Afterglow. It's A F T R G L O and LLC um, and you can find the Globus by searching Globus Denver it's G-L-O-B-U-S D-E-N-B-E-R yeah and I can post those uh, spellings in the uh, 
cool. Right the details on, of the the podcast. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug or promote or say? No, man. I just, no, I just want to say thanks a lot for having me out, brother. Uh, I can't wait to hear this set. Let's rock it out. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, buddy, and being my first official non-DJ guest. Uh, it was fun to share some of our crazy stories. And uh, good luck with your surgery tomorrow. And hope it all goes well, and we'll see uh, when you get out. But otherwise, man, we'll go ahead and throw on this mix. And uh, the mix I'm going to be providing is from a party I played in 2014 uh, up in the mountains. Uh, it was actually not too far away from where Together was hosted, just down the road a few miles. And uh, the party was called Luminescence, uh, and the party was thrown by Liz Eleven. I've had a, quite a few people asking me for this mix, so it's fun to finally get it out there for everyone's listening pleasure. So without any further ado, this is me live at Luminescence in 2014. Enjoy, guys. Thank you. 
silent moment of non-relevant conversation. Small time.
Thanks, Connick. 
again for listening, guys, and I hope you enjoyed the first mix that I provided for my own podcast. For anyone who is still curious, Alex's surgery went well, and he is well on the road to recovery. Looking forward to the coming months and guests I have lined up for the podcast. Next on deck is Denver local Nick Payne, followed by Devin Gilmer, also a Denverite. And then sometime in March, I'm having Paul Anthony on as well, so lots on the horizon. Take care, guys, and we'll catch you next time.